turned the lights off outside. <laughs> when I got here this morning at 7.30, it was really bright out. So you know what that means. On these cloudy mornings means I got to have more energy, right? So y'all got to be with me today. Don't go to sleep. All right, Randy, you with me? All right. Guys, today we're going to be uh, continuing this journey, um, looking through uh, the prayers of Paul in Scripture. And I'm really excited today because the one that we're going to be talking about today is probably my all-time favorite. And um, it's probably impacted me more um, spiritually in terms of how I think about life and, and all of that stuff more than any other prayer that you'll find in the Word. So I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. It's page 815. Ephesians 3, and we're going to start in verse 14, and wouldn't you know it, the first three words are for this reason, which has been the first three words of every prayer that we've looked at. So we've learned now that when we see that, we have to ask for what reason, right? We have to go back and we have to get some context of why he's praying this prayer. So let me summarize for you what's been going on in verses 1 through 13 here of chapter 3, okay? Paul and Jesus, okay, Paul's writing this, and Jesus, they were both Jews, okay? And the Jews had a special uh, place um, throughout history. In almost the entire Old Testament, the Jews are God's chosen people. And God chose a man named Abraham, and he said, through you and through your descendants, um, I'm going to have a covenant with you. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And so the Jews kind of... um, relish that kind of special place that they had in God's heart, okay? So that was very special to them. And now Jesus comes along, and he says that his message of forgiveness and salvation and eternal life is for everyone, Jews and non-Jews, which were called Gentiles, male, female, slave-free, it didn't matter, all of mankind, this message was for And so Paul states this new reality in verse 6. Look at that, chapter 3, verse 6. He says, This mystery is that through the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And now that sounds pretty great for 99.9999 of us here who aren't Jewish, right? And we're all Gentiles who are now recipients of God's, you know, new relationship with all of mankind. That sounds awesome to us. But now put yourself into the Jew's shoes, right? This is a totally different thing for them. It'd be kind of like if one of, you know, your parents died, your last living parent, and so you and your two siblings went to the lawyer's office to kind of talk about the will and and figure out, you know, you're going to get the inheritance divided equally amongst three of you. And right in the middle of that meeting, all of a sudden, these seven other people, filthy, dirty strangers you didn't even know, burst into the room and they said, hey, wait a minute, he was our dad too. And you're like, what? And so the lawyer gets on the phone and sure enough, they give him some names and your dad had been married to two people. And now you've got to split this inheritance with 10 people equally. Not only that, those seven strangers, they're your family now, right? This is kind of like what it was like for the Jews. 
the Gentiles kind of burst in on this thing that they kind of had going with God, and they thought that it was all going to be theirs, and now I've got to share it with everybody else. And so this was this radical idea, because the Gentiles and Jews had been enemies for centuries, and now they're supposed to be family, all right? So I want you to skip down to verse 10. It says, his intent, God, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? Well, Paul is saying that God's plan was to display a picture of his love by bringing together these former strangers, former enemies into one family, the the church of followers of Jesus Christ. And he's saying the extent to which that happens is going to tell the world of how amazing my love is, okay? And, and, and it's going to explain this, this mystery. So this was a radical idea, all right? It, it's kind of like um, me coming to terms with the fact that when I get to heaven, the possibility exists that there are going to be KU fans there too, and Cardinals fans and Broncos fans, and that God's love is big enough for that to happen. Um, I got to tell you a story because this week it was very upsetting. I was at um, the guest house on Friday having lunch um, with some people and, and we were there to pray with Sam. And I was telling everybody there about how excited I was this week to get to go to Chicago. And I was going to go to the U2 concert on, on this Thursday coming up. And, and it's been my favorite band since I was in high school. I was so excited about that. And Sam goes, yeah, I've been trying to figure out how to get their free songs off of my phone for months now. And it was just like a knife, just right into the very core of who I am, Sam. And so the fact that Sam gets to go to heaven too, and, and that there might be people there that don't like you too, I just don't know. This is a big God we're talking about this morning, folks. Okay? And so Paul, in verse 14, he says, for those reasons, for the reasons that you know, these, these people are coming together who were former enemies, um, were totally strangers to one another. Now they're going to be family and they have to understand a new context of what family means. For that reason, knowing how difficult that is, I'm going to pray for you guys, okay? And so he begins his prayer. And, and before we get into it, I want to tell you again that to me, this prayer is like unlocking a treasure. It'd be like if I told you and you knew that I had a box with just untold treasures in it. Okay, and we set it down here. If there was a table here, I'd set it on the table and we'd unlock it and peel it back and, and we'd open it and we'd look inside and it'd just be, just kind of take our breath away. Like that's what this prayer does for me every time that I read it. So the bar's really high now. Here we go. Verse 14, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Isn't that beautiful? And what Paul is trying to communicate to this young, kind of divided church and to us today is this, is that God's love for us 
and his purposes for his church are so much grander than we could ever imagine. Way surpasses our human knowledge and it's beyond reason. And his love is beyond reason and the gospel is a mystery because we are always riddled with the question, why? Why would God die for me? Why would he allow himself to be falsely accused and humiliated and beaten and mocked and all of those things for me? Why? And in order to create room in our understanding of this great mysterious love, we have to move beyond reason to the supernatural. Because our finite minds cannot grasp that kind of love. It cannot make full sense to us this mystery of the gospel. But we have to begin to grasp it at some level or at least embrace our lack of understanding of it in order to kind of try to replicate it and take it out into the world. So we have to pursue as much understanding as we can. And the bottom line in this is that we just can't talk about God's love. We have to live it out in family, in the church. God is uniting humanity through faith in Christ. And as followers of Jesus, we are all family, okay? So if we had baseball uniforms on this morning, our last name on the back would all be the same in God's family, all right? We are one. We are one with those darn Baptists and Lutherans and Methodists and Catholics and Christians who vote Democrat and Republican and those who want gay marriage and those who don't. We're family with all those people, whether we like it or not, Every family has some crazy cousins, right? And the reality is is that we're probably some of the crazy cousins in the family, all right? For better, for worse. Why is that so hard to swallow? I'm asking you. Why is that so hard to swallow that the name on the back of the jersey is the same? Yeah, Jim? Jim? Yeah, we see things our way, right? We want to be right. We don't want to think that that other church down the road might be right, or that other denomination, or those people that sprinkle instead of dunk, or whatever it might be, right? What else? Yeah, our convictions are so strong that we feel like that, that, that they have to be from God. And that we don't know how to reconcile the fact that other people might think vehemently different than us and still be Christians, right? We want to think sometimes that we've cornered the market on truth. I've figured it out and nobody else has, right? That's tough. Yeah, John. Yeah, we're embarrassed by things that other Christians do, right? Sometimes, you know. Yeah, your kid says or does something, you know, calls that person in the in the line fat or old or hey, you got hair going out of your ears or nose, and you're just like, oh, man, (laughs) whose kid is this, right? I don't know this person. Yeah, it's tough. And where does the power to grasp the supernatural love come from? Where does the power come from to grasp it? Look at verse 16. The Spirit, right? The Spirit. Every prayer that we've looked at so far by Paul The Spirit plays a central role in those prayers. Okay, let's look at a couple of examples we've looked at the last couple of weeks. 
Okay, we looked at Ephesians 1, and Paul said, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Okay, you gotta have the spirit in order to do that. Colossians, we looked at last week. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives. Okay, I'm starting to figure this out. I'm dumb, but it's clicking in here that just about every time I pray, I need to be praying that the spirit, that God would fill me with the spirit so I can understand things better. That seems to be a key to prayer here, okay? So you can file that one away to help me understand this love, this supernatural beyond reason love, because the Holy Spirit's job is to lead us to the truth. And we need that in ever-increasing intensity if we're going to grasp this, because it's beyond reason. Why do we need to be, back to, back to uh, our prayer here in chapter 3, why do we need to be strengthened with power through the Spirit? Strengthened with power. He mentions the word power three times in that prayer. Well, I think it's because it's really the only way that we're going to be able to embrace our family. Is if the, if, the, if the Spirit empowers us to do it. Because if it's left up to us, we'll just continue to, to gossip and slander that other church down the road. And to think that we're better, that we've got it figured out and they don't. And continue to, to judge people and continue to segregate our congregations by race or socioeconomics or political views and we'll all kind of huddle over here in our camps and, you know, critique everybody else. One of my biggest pet peeves is when I get a postcard in the mail here in St. Joe from a church that says, in essence, we've got it right and all the other churches in town are wrong, Right? We still sing hymns and we preach the Bible and we have church the way it used to be and everybody else are idiots and so come to our church because it's the only place that's got it right, you know? That, that sounds a lot like comparison and arrogance and not very much like love. So listen how the Apostle John described our command to love in 1 John 4, verses 19 through 21. This is what John says. He says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister, and he's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So we do not have a choice about loving our family In verse 18, Paul expresses his desire that the church in Ephesus would grasp this love of God, and he talks about it in the context of community. And that's a very important, very important point, okay? We can only know and understand love in community, in the church, because we have to to experience it while interacting with other people. We can't grasp the love of God unless we forgive and are forgiven, Okay? We can't, we can't grasp the love of God unless we serve and are served, unless we pray for and, and are prayed for, unless we speak the truth and love to someone and we allow them to speak the truth and love back to us, unless we confront and are confronted, unless 
we pray for and are prayed for, all of those different things have to happen unless we give generously and we receive graciously. There is no context for Christianity outside of the church. It's very easy to sit on your couch on Sunday morning and talk about loving other people and listen to the preacher on TV and then not have to go and do it with anybody else. Okay? There's no context for Christianity apart from community and apart from the church. It's only possible to love each other if we have a greater understanding of the vastness of God's love. And so in verse 18, Paul goes into this thing where he's talking about, guys, I want you to get how wide and long and high and deep. And he just uses this imagery to try to explain to us this love. And he's saying, guys, you understand it at this level, but I'm telling you that it is way beyond what you can imagine it is. Way beyond. And I want you to know it, and I want you to grasp it because there's no end to it. No end to it. And we can only begin to understand God's love with the Spirit's help. And God's love is not some sentimental thing. It's not this great theory. Especially in Paul's life, it was extremely real. Okay, so it's important when we, when we talk that we understand who it is that's writing this prayer. Right? And we understand some things about Paul's life. And if you know his story, he was, he was an ardent Jew, so much so that he, he couldn't accept this, this new teaching of Jesus and this sect called Christianity. And, and it was his mission to stamp it out and to wipe it off the face of the earth. And so he went around persecuting Christians and killing them. And Jesus met him on the road one day and blinded him and, and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, you're going to be my chosen instrument now to go and speak this message to the Gentile world. And he says to him, I'm going to show you how much you have to suffer for the gospel. And so Paul knew he did not deserve Jesus. He did not deserve to be forgiven. He did not deserve to be shown mercy. He wasn't even pursuing Jesus. <laughs> he was pursuing the Christians who were worshiping Jesus to try to kill him. But God intervened anyways. And that grace that was shown to him just obviously transformed him, but filled him with this passion that other people would know because he knew he didn't deserve it. But he received it anyways. And so he wanted his friends. He wanted his enemies because who was Paul to judge anyone, okay? Verse 19, it says, Paul wants us to know that love. Which means that that tells me that it can be known at some level, even though it's, it's unbelievable, okay? And if we know it, he says, we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Don't you think about that statement, that we could be filled to the fullness of all the measure, uh, sorry, to the measure of all the fullness of God. If that's possible, then I want that, <laughs> right? Just like we sang a minute ago, I want more, I want more, I want more, pour it out, right? God, if you're dispensing it freely and I can have more of you, then give me everything you got, man. Double barrel, hit me with it, fill my cup to overflowing, I want it all if he's giving it to us. And he's saying, I want to do that. And I want you to hear this. His love is so much bigger than our petty reasons for not loving anyone that we come across. His love is so much bigger than our petty reasons for not loving anyone that we come across. Not tolerate anyone but love anyone unconditionally. 
It's bigger than the church that hurt you or the coworker that you can't get along with or the ex-boyfriend or girlfriend or ex-spouse that betrayed you and ripped your heart out. It's bigger than that classmate or teammate that annoys you or picks on you or whatever scenario you can come up with in your mind. It's bigger than that. And Paul says, I want you to know that love. Because here's the truth, folks. If God wanted to sit down and write a list of all the reasons why not to love you and I, he could spend days on each one of us. Because this is what I know about myself. I'm arrogant, I'm prideful, I'm critical, I'm selfish, I lust, I slander, I gossip. And that's just since I got out of bed this morning. Okay, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. Yet, God loved me. So who am I to deny that love to anyone? No matter who they are, no matter how much they hurt me, if I want God to ignore and overlook all of my faults, how can I withhold that love from anyone? His love is not a human love. And Paul's saying it can't be contained (laughs) and there's no end to it. So how does this happen? How can we grasp this kind of love that we're supposed to have even for our worst enemies? How, How does that happen? Because God can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. God can do more. He's a God that can pull it off. So let's look at verse 20 as Paul kind of wraps this prayer up with this He says, now to him, God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So however humble or forgiving or loving, you can imagine yourself being someday, God says, I can do better than that. You're going to be able to love more than that. You can forgive more than you think you can. God can do immeasurably more. How? (laughs) Because we have no idea the power of the Christ living in us. We're learning a little bit about it day by day. But the understanding of that knowledge is so much greater than we can imagine. And we just don't know that Christ very well. We don't know that love very well. That that love of Jesus who was able to wash Judas' feet a couple hours before he betrayed him. That love that as he hung on the cross, he looked down at the Roman soldiers who nailed him there and said, Father, forgive those people because they don't know what they're doing. That love that when Peter disowned him and betrayed him and cursed his name when he was heading to the cross and then he was resurrected and he appears to them again and Peter comes running at him and Jesus embraced him. He didn't bring up the past. (laughs) He didn't condemn him. He, He loved him. That Jesus who was most unjustly treated is in you. 
And his response to that injustice and that hatred and that betrayal was to bear the wounds of humanity and to trust in his father who was just and to forgive us. And I really hope, I know it's cloudy outside. You might be struggling to pay attention right now. I want you to hear that. The man that was most unjustly treated, his response was to bear the wounds of that injustice and to trust his father's justice and forgive you and I. And so I think there's a lot of times where we're unjustly treated in this world and Jesus is saying to us, I want you to bear the wounds of that injustice. And I want you to trust that I'm just and I'm going to handle it. And I want you to forgive that person. That's the kind of love we're talking about that's in you. And often the question is asked, is this plan working? Is God's wisdom being displayed in this world through his family called the church? And on the surface, it wouldn't appear that it's going very well, right? Because we have hundreds of denominations, right? Just in Christianity, because we can't agree on much of anything. And this divisiveness that we have basically communicates to the world, well, some churches over here think they've got it right or that they're better than this church or that church, right? But is the plan not working because of God or because of us? And I think the testimony of the church is so weak because we're trying to love without the power of the Spirit. We're trying to do it without an understanding or a grasp of this endless and boundless love that's beyond reason. Because too often we think, I could never forgive that person. Or I could never love somebody who thinks that that is Christianity. And God says, with me, all things are possible. So which is it? I could never, or all things are possible. You got to choose. So let's bring this close to home now, okay? How are we doing at loving our brothers and sisters right here within these walls this morning? All right? Let's stop talking about in theory and all the other people out there in those other churches. How are we doing right here? Is there anybody in this room who there's unresolved conflict or tension with that needs to be forgiven? Do we gossip or slander anyone in here when they're not around? Do we talk and interact with people here on a surface level and don't really get to know what's going on in their life? Do we even care, honestly, what's going on in a lot of people's lives in here? Do we take the time to know? You see, love is a lot of things, but it's never indifferent. We have a tremendous amount of responsibility to this body of believers. I want to show you a couple of verses in, in Hebrews it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
Hebrews chapter 3, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, we have, we have this responsibility. We are our brother's keepers and sisters, right? To not let their hearts get hard, to encourage them, to come alongside them, to pray for them, to get to know them. I want everyone here to grasp this love. And, and I have to live it. I can't just give a sermon about it, right? That's why when the rubber met the road this week in my life, and there were some people that really made me angry, I had to look at my own words that I had just typed and say, do I believe that God loves them? And can I forgive them and just bear the wounds of injustice? That's tough. (laughs) Really tough. More than I feel like I can handle sometimes. And so because that's true, it is hard. We have to do what Paul says. We have to kneel before the Father and we have to humbly say these words. And we're going to put these words that were in Ephesians chapter 3 on the screen here. And I want you to pray these out loud with me as we close today, okay? I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted, I want you guys to pray it like you mean it. Come on, mumblers. From the top. (laughs) I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, (gasps) may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. All right? Now, in the past couple of weeks, I've challenged you to pray these prayers of Scripture that we've gone through for yourself. Okay? And I want you to do that again this week. And I've asked you to, when you pray for others, to pray specifically those words that we've looked at, like that they would know Christ better, that the Spirit would lead them to greater understanding of God's love, all those things we've gone through. This week, I want to challenge you in a new way. I want to challenge you to pray out loud for someone that prayer. It could be your kid when you tuck him in bed at night. It could be your spouse when you lay next to them or your friend at work or whoever. I want to challenge you to pray that they would know the love of God, how long and wide and high and deep is that love. And this morning as we come to the communion table, I want to ask you to do something while we have some time of silence here this morning. I want you to pray and ask the Spirit, God, help me to understand at a deeper level what participating in this means, grasping 
the love of God for me in this and what that calls me to when I leave here. We'll give you some time of silence. The ushers will come and dismiss you to come forward. Um, You can tear a piece of bread um, and dip it into the cup and take and eat it. If you need gluten-free, we've got some crackers over here in a separate cup you can use. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, man, we come to you today and are challenged again by your word and this love that you describe that stretches us in ways that are really uncomfortable. But God, when we always bring it back around to me, and, and I'm honestly looking at myself and knowing my flaws and my brokenness, but yet how you love me, how can I deny that or withhold it from anyone else? So God, the first thing that I need to know today is I need to have a better understanding of my own sin and how much I need you. So God, open my eyes. (laughs) Take off my arrogance to see the depth of my depravity so that I might be more gracious and more forgiving towards those who need it too. And God, we thank you for your body and we thank you for your blood that makes forgiveness possible, that you could take a man like Paul who killed Christians and turn him into somebody who revolutionized the world, spreading your message of peace and mercy and grace. Thank you that you're a God that's big enough to turn a life like that around and use it for your glory. Help us to understand how wide and long and high and deep is your love, God. God. 